Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 13. Our scripture reading for this morning will be from Matthew 13. We're actually going to read verses 1 through 23 at the beginning of the chapter. And we're going to read verses 51 to 58 at the end of the chapter. That's because Matthew 13, like the rest of the scripture, is thoughtfully structured. And in chapter 13, it's the... It's, it's what's called a chiastic structure, which means that it, it begins and ends in the same place. And then, uh, and then sort of the second part is a mirror of the second to last part. And then there's uh, a central uh, part, which sort of forms the focus of the chapter. So this week, we're going to look at the first and the last part of the chapter. Next week, well, two weeks from now, after Easter, we'll look at the second and the second to last part of the chapter. And then Three weeks from now, we'll look at the center of the chapter, if that makes sense. If not, that's okay. Just read along with me, and, and you'll, you'll be able to follow along. Matthew 13, uh, 1 through 23. Let me pray for us before we read God's word. Our Father, we, we come before you to hear, uh, to hear your word, to hear the word of Jesus. We know that, that he is the sower that sows the seed, and we pray that you would that you would make our hearts good soil, that you would take out the stones and, and, and weed out the thorns, uh, that you would enable us uh, to receive your word and to benefit from it this morning. Uh, we pray that you would do this by your spirit, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 13, uh, beginning with verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed." lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. 
And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And then verse 51. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Well, in college, uh, sometimes there are things called prerequisite courses. Right? You probably know what they are. Uh, sometimes there's a 101 course in a particular discipline, and until you take that 101 course, you can't take any other courses in the discipline. And yet once you take that course, it, it kind of opens up the whole field. And the justification for this is, is often that you can't properly understand the higher level thinking in that discipline apart from understanding the basics. Well, there's something like that in understanding God's kingdom. There's something so central to the whole that if you're not willing to accept this part, nothing else will make sense. It's the the key, so to speak, that unlocks the parables. It's really the key that unlocks the whole of Scripture. We're going to look at that key this morning. And many of you can probably guess already what it is, or at least you know that it will have something to do with Jesus. And we're going to start talking about the secret of the kingdom this morning. And then we're going to look at how the kingdom is concealed from those who do not accept that secret. And then finally, we'll look at how the kingdom is revealed to those who accept that secret. So we're going to look at the kingdom secret. This this is in your bulletin, the outline that's on the back of your bulletin. It's the kingdom secret, the kingdom concealed, and then the kingdom revealed. Well, if that all seems maybe a little bit abstract for you, uh, let me make it at least a little more practical. Jesus came to bring God's kingdom. He came to renew all things under his gracious authority. We live in a world that desperately needs this renewal. We live in a world where there's so much pain and so much brokenness and so much sin. We need mercy. We need renewal. We need forgiveness. And Christians claim that Jesus brings renewal. And yet, pain and brokenness remain in the world. Dr. Boyce, uh, one uh, preacher, recounts a, a story of a New York City rabbi who was told by a witnessing Christian that Jesus was the Messiah. And the rabbi walked to his window, looked out at the city, unchanged in all its corruption, and returned shaking his head. No, he said, 
when the Messiah comes, there will be justice. Now, I keep telling you week after week that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, who brought God's kingdom, who's renewing the world. So, well, either Christianity is true or it isn't. And so the question is, if Jesus has brought the kingdom, where is it? And that's the question that the parables of Matthew 13 are actually designed to answer, believe it or not. So we're going to begin talking about the kingdom secret. Matthew 13 begins, uh, Jesus is sitting beside the sea to teach. And so many people uh, come to him that he has to get in a boat, and then he teaches to the crowds who are on the shore. And and there there are tons of people, Jesus begins to teach them using parables. And we'll get to this first parable in a moment. But but during one of the coffee breaks, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask, why does he speak to them in parables? And it's an interesting question, right? I mean, why not speak to them in parables? But the disciples must be picking up on something. The parables are confusing. The crowds don't understand. You know, the disciples often don't understand either, but the focus here is is not on the confusion of the disciples. The focus is on the confusion of the crowds, and the disciples are asking Jesus, Jesus, why are you using such obscure language? Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? That's the question the disciples are asking. Why, Jesus, are you speaking to them, the crowds, in parables? And at this point, Jesus draws a contrast. You can see it in verse 11. Verse 11, Jesus says, To you, the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. See, Jesus says the disciples have been given a secret, not the crowds. Uh, The disciples know something that the crowds do not know. So, why do you speak to them, the crowds, in parables, Jesus? He begins by answering by saying, because you know something that they don't. That's the first part of his answer. Then verse 12, he goes further. Verse 12 says, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. See, Jesus sort of takes his argument a step further. He says, to the one who has, that would be the disciples. They are the ones who have the secret of the kingdom. To the one who has, to them more will be given. But to the one who has not, that would be the crowds, right? They they don't have this secret of the kingdom. They don't understand this one thing. Even what they have will be taken away. So the disciples have this secret, they will be given more. The crowds don't have this secret, so even what they have will be taken away, Jesus says. And then he keeps going in verses 13 through 15. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now, at first, uh, this, it seems like Jesus is giving another, yet a, a different answer to the question for speaking in parables, but really he's just explaining the first answer. 
See, the crowds see and hear Jesus, but they don't get him. They don't understand. It has not been given to them to know. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. God has not given the crowds eyes to see or ears to hear, and so Jesus speaks to them in an intentionally obscure way. Jesus doesn't want the crowds to understand on one level. We've seen this before. We saw it back in Matthew chapter 11. Maybe you remember Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus prays to the Father. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. See, to those who think they are wise, God hides his truth. Or from those who think they are wise, God hides his truth. If we are to know If we are to understand, God must reveal his truth to us. The disciples have been given to know, Jesus says, the secrets of the kingdom, but not the crowds. But, verse 16, the word but draws the contrast again. Verse 16 says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. See, the disciples see and hear. The disciples get it, Jesus says. Now, it's, it's maybe hard to say how much they get, but because the disciples so very often don't get it we, as we read through the Gospels, but they get something. And verse 51, the end of the chapter, confirms that, right? Verse 51, Jesus says to the disciples, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. Yes, we understand what you're saying, Jesus. We get it. Well, what is it? I mean, what is it that the disciples see and hear and understand, but the crowds don't? Verse 17, Jesus says a little more. He says, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What is it that the prophets and the righteous people of old longed to see and longed to hear? What is it that they were waiting for? Well, they longed for the fulfillment of their prophecies. They longed for the restoration of all things. They longed for the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, the King who would defeat our enemies. They longed for the seed of the woman to come and crush the head of the serpent. God's people have been longing for God to come and keep his promises of old, to come and make things right. That's what we long for, for God to put this world right. And so what do the disciples see and hear? Well, they see the fulfillment of God's promises standing in front of them. They hear the Messiah speak. They see the seed of the woman who's come to do battle with the serpent. They see the one who will bring the restoration of all things. Remember John the Baptist's question back in chapter 11? We really haven't left that question, believe it or not. Matthew is still answering it for us. Back in chapter 11, verse 3, John the Baptist sent some some of his disciples to ask Jesus a question. And the question was, are you the one who is to come Or shall we look for another? That's what John the prophet longed for. He longed to see the one who was to come. And Jesus is the promised one, the king who ushers in God's kingdom, the one who comes to renew all things. That's the secret of the kingdom. You know, it's not much of a secret anymore, but it is the secret of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. That Jesus is the king who came to renew all things. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And the disciples, on some level at least, get this. 
This is why at the end of the chapter, Jesus tells another mini parable. After verse 51, verse 52, Jesus says, He said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Jesus is saying to the disciples that they are the scribes of the kingdom and that they can bring out what is new and what is old. And and what is old is clearly the teaching of the Old Testament, the teaching of the prophets, right? Uh, The law of Moses, all that God has done, said and done in history. That's what is old. Well, what's new? What's new is the fulfillment of all that, that the fulfillment of that has come in the person of Jesus. The new doesn't dispense with the old. It's it's, it's a fulfillment of it. It's, It's the promises given of old being fulfilled right before their eyes. All the prophecies are coming true. They only have eyes to see. Everything God had promised in the Old Testament is now coming to its fulfillment in Jesus. And the disciples get that. They, they don't understand it fully, I'm sure, but they, they believe it, at least. They're waiting for it. They're expecting it. And they know Jesus is bringing it. So this is understanding God's kingdom 101, right? Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Jesus is the king who comes to restore the kingdom. He's the the king who comes to renew all things by reestablishing the rule of God in the world. If we're not willing to receive this, we can never move to the upper level classes, so to speak, in the kingdom. This is basic. This is the foundation. Jesus has come to fulfill the promises of the Father. And yet we look out the window... And we say, no, when the Messiah comes, there will be justice. Well, this brings us to the parable. This brings us to the kingdom concealed. A sower went out to sow, Jesus says, and he took his seed and he sowed it liberally. It seemingly almost haphazardly. He throws it all over the place. And and the seeds uh, first are spread along the path. And the birds of the air come and devour the seed. And Jesus explains that this way in verses 18 and 19. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now, in some ways, Jesus' explanation is very simple, isn't it? If someone hears Jesus' word but doesn't understand it, the devil comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. The message is lost or forgotten or discarded. And yet there's more going on than, than simply not understanding. Uh, the disciples, again, often don't understand. They have to ask Jesus in verse 36, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field so they didn't understand. So it's not simply a lack of understanding that Jesus is talking about here, but it, the hard path is a hard heart. It's an unwillingness to understand. This is the one who does not want to understand, right? Maybe Jesus is talking about the Pharisees here, who we've seen in the past couple chapters. They they could put the pieces together, but they did not want to believe in Jesus because that would mean that giving up their religious clout or giving up their position in society, giving up their self-righteousness, they didn't want to do that. When one is unwilling to believe, even the word which he has been given will be taken away from him. See, it's possible that if a seed is left long enough, even on a hard path, it could eventually break through and put down roots, but the seed is snatched away by the devil. 
It's a case of use it or lose it, right? It's, it's do something with the word of Jesus when it comes to you. Believe it. Receive it. Else its meaning may be lost on you forever. And notice that the way in which God conceals his kingdom here is through allowing the person to persist in their hardness of heart. God hides spiritual things from the wise and understanding by simply allowing them to live in their pride. Because they refuse to humble themselves, they refuse to receive true knowledge from Jesus, and so they remain in the dark. Well, the sower also sows his seed on the rocky ground, a place where there wasn't much soil, and immediately the seed sprouts and springs up, and when the sun comes out and the day begins to get hot, the plant withers because it has no root. But Jesus, again, explains this part of the parable in verse 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. See, there are some who hear the word of Jesus and they immediately receive it. Now, they too lack understanding of a sort. And Jesus says in verse 23 that the only kind of person who truly understands is the, that good soil, but they nevertheless, nevertheless receive what Jesus is saying. Uh, maybe they join a church, right? They, they get excited about singing. They read their Bibles a lot. Maybe they even pray and memorize scripture, right? These are people who are, who are excited about receiving the gospel, receiving the teaching of Jesus. And yet because they lack understanding, because they don't really recognize Jesus for who he is, their faith is short-lived, once this whole Christianity thing gets difficult, they give it up. You know, fighting sin is too hard. Trials are too great. Rejection is too depressing. And so they give up. It's their shallowness that hides the truth this time. They don't take the time to dig in and understand. They think they know who Jesus is. And because of that, they don't take the time to really find out. They're not committed to Jesus per se. Uh, they may be committed to a church. They may be committed to the idea of religion. Uh, they may be committed to good deeds or family values or loving the poor or some other such thing related to the church. But they're not committed to Jesus for who he is as the Messiah of God who comes to renew all things in his time. So Christianity to them is, is just merely another cause, right? It's, I mean, lots of people get excited about all kinds of causes, but when the cause gets difficult, we often give up and go find a new cause. And that's what happens to these people. They're, they get excited about Christianity. They get excited about uh, the Bible. They get excited about these things. And then life gets difficult and they give up and they go off and find something else. Well, third, we have the cluttered soil, right? The, the, the sower sows some seed and it falls among thorns. And the thorns grow up and choke out the seed. And Jesus explains this part of the parable in verse 22 where he says as for what was sown among thorns this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful see there, there are some who hear the word of jesus about the kingdom and again they're ready to receive it it sounds good and so they add it to their lives it becomes one more part of their already cluttered routine Jesus has already warned us, maybe you remember back in Matthew chapter 7, uh, that no one can serve two masters. Well, here's why. If your heart is consumed with this life, 
If your heart is consumed with, with riches and reputation and, and health and, and houses and success and spouses and cars and career and bank accounts and boasting in your achievements, if you're focused on getting rich or just getting by or even just having fun, whatever it is, there's no room then for the kingdom that is to come. There's no room for love for Jesus. So many people hear the truths of Christianity. They hear about the forgiveness of sins. They hear the gift of the Holy Spirit. They, they hear about the promise of a resurrection. And they, they think, this is great. My sins forgiven, uh, help from God to live differently, uh, hope of something better to come, yeah, wonderful. But it gets lost in the day-to-day -day worries of life, the pursuit of worldly health and wealth and comfort and ease. And so it's the judgment of God, again, on the, the one who loves the world, that, that the world that he loves so much would crowd out the kingdom. Again, it's not simply misunderstanding, but an unwillingness to put the kingdom first, to put Jesus first. And so even what he has is, is choked out. God hides the kingdom in plain sight, as it were, but this person's life is too cluttered to see it. You see how God conceals the kingdom from each of these people? He, he conceals it, he hides it from the wise and understanding by giving us over to ourselves. If our hearts are hard or skeptical or cynical and doubting, God lets us be hard and allows Satan to come and snatch away the word. If our hearts are shallow, if we're living merely in the pursuit of happiness, God allows us to be shallow. And even if we follow Jesus for a while, our shallow understanding can't stand up to the often harsh and difficult realities of life. And so the cares of the world wither away whatever we had. If our hearts are full of the love of this world, God will give us over to the things of this world and they will choke out any belief, any inkling of an inclination toward Christianity. God hides the kingdom by putting it in plain sight and then letting us go about our lives. Okay, so what about the final soil? There's one more, you remember. There's a fourth soil. What about those to whom the kingdom is revealed? Those who get it? Well, Jesus says simply in verse 8, Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then he explains it in verse 23, where he says, As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed, bared, he indeed bears fruit, and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. To hear the word and to understand it, to receive it, that is what brings fruit into our lives, Jesus says. Different lives, different amounts of fruit, but fruit nonetheless. It doesn't mean that, that everything you read in the Bible will make sense to you the moment you hear it. That's not true for anyone. But look, at, look throughout chapters 11 and 12. Uh, look at John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist didn't understand everything, but what did he do? He sends to Jesus to ask a question. Right? He wants to understand, and so he goes to Jesus to find out more. The disciples don't understand everything, but what do they do? They ask Jesus to explain the parables in verse 36. Remember, Jesus says to, to the Father uh, back in 11 that he hides these things from the, the wise and understanding, but reveals them to children. What are children like? Well, we said a few weeks ago that, that, that children are very needy. Children always ask for more, right? You know, gimme, gimme, gimme. And that's true. Children are also always asking for explanations, right? 
Why does the sun rise? Why do dogs bark? How do planes fly? Do ants sleep at night, right? Uh, why do I have to eat my vegetables? Why do, where do people go when they die? Why did God, or did God create aliens? Where do babies come from, right? See, they want to know why. They want to know how. They want to know if. They want to know. Children often have this insatiable curiosity, and they are looking for answers to feed that curiosity. We need to be like children. God has revealed these things to children. We need to be like children. We need to come to Jesus relentlessly and ask questions. We need to ask him like a child, ready to learn, ready to take it all in. The one thing that will kill learning about the kingdom is thinking you already understand it. Thinking you have this Jesus person down. You know what he's all about. You figured it out. The fertile soil is is that which is soft, that which is impressionable. That which is ready to receive the seed of Jesus' word. Ready to accept Jesus as the leading authority on God and himself and on the kingdom and, well, pretty much on everything because he made it. Remember, this is, of course, where we started a few minutes ago. It's only when you get the secret that Jesus is the one to come, the Messiah, the King, only then will you grow to understand more of the kingdom. So you must first accept Jesus and then the pieces will begin to fall into place. If you reject him, nothing will seem to fit together. But when you look to him and you receive him as the king and you begin to go to him and ask him questions and seek more knowledge, you know, you ask, you will receive. You seek, you will find, Jesus said. We see this kind of by way of contrast in in the last section of our chapter. The very last part of the chapter, Jesus comes to his hometown and he's rejected. He's rejected because the people are offended. They're offended because they say, well, isn't this the carpenter's son? I mean, isn't his mother Mary? Isn't she that woman who got pregnant as a teen, right? I mean, who does he think he is? He's just one of us. I mean, his brothers are James and Joseph and Simon and and Judas who lives down the street, right? I mean, his sisters still live here in town. Where did he get these things? What's he trying to pull? What right does he have to teach us? See, they reject Jesus because in their wisdom and understanding, they think they know who he is. He's just one of them. And so they refuse to listen to him. And notice the last verse, the last verse, verse 58. Last verse says, And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, that's that's kind of a scary verse. I don't know if you realize how scary that is. Because what it means is this. It doesn't mean that Jesus couldn't have done miraculous signs as if Jesus needs our faith to fuel the Holy Spirit's power. That's not what the verse is saying. What it's saying is because they do not believe, Jesus will not, chooses not to do many mighty works there. Why not, right? I mean, why would he do that? I mean, if they didn't have faith, maybe the miracles would generate faith. Maybe if he showed them a sign, it would convince them. But of course, that's actually never true. Miracles do not generate faith. Miracles feed faith. When faith is present, miracles in Scripture feed faith and they grow it. But when faith is absent, miracles tend to generate opposition and skepticism. I mean, you remember the Pharisees, right, who explained away Jesus' miracles by saying that Jesus had a demon. Right? They had miracles. They had all the signs they could want and they explained them away. Miracles don't generate faith. They they feed it when it's already there. And Jesus knows that in one sense, his miracles might only further harden them. 
So he doesn't do any miracles in that town. They don't believe, and so he doesn't show them any more signs. Again, what this means is this. It's, it's when we believe that we get confirming evidence, right? It, I'm not discouraging you from, from studying the facts or reading the Bible for yourself. Do those things. But all of the pieces will not fall into place until you first recognize Jesus for who he is. Right? Are, are you fertile soil? Are you seeking to believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Or is your heart hard to him? Or is your heart shallow and you're not really concerned with who Jesus is? Or, or is it full of, of the love of this world and, and there are thorns that are going to choke out any benefit that would come from, from hearing his word? Well, maybe you've listened to this explanation of Jesus' parable and you're wondering, what kind of soil are you? Maybe you're asking yourself that question. Maybe you're fearful that your heart is hard and cynical or, or that if you're honest with yourself, you, you are kind of shallow in, in your depth of pursuit of understanding. and your, your pursuit of Christianity is just another cause in life. Or maybe you fear that you, you love the world too much. You're afraid that the thorns of this love will choke out genuine faith. What, what is to be done? What do you do then? If you say, okay, I hear this parable, four soils, okay, got it. I'm, I'm the first three, <laughs> all of them at different times in life. What do you do then? Well, you turn to the sower king, right? It, it's, it's said that, I, many people said that in Palestine, it was common to actually sow your seed first and then plow it under. It's kind of interesting to sow your seed first and then plow it under. Well, have you heard the word of Jesus, but fear that your heart is hard and shallow and cluttered? Well, ask Jesus to plow up the tough ground, to remove the stones and weed the garden. Ask Jesus to till the soil of your heart and further to water it with the presence of his spirit. And those who come to him needy and seeking grace will never be turned away. Or maybe you're thinking back to the beginning of the sermon and you're remembering that quote again about when the Messiah comes, there will be justice. And if Jesus has brought the kingdom, where is it? And you're thinking, well, all you've talked about so far is seed and soils. You talk about a message and whether people believe it or not. I mean, what does it have to do with the kingdom? All this doesn't explain anything. Well, actually, it does. It does. And here's, here's what it explains. Jesus has come to sow the seeds of the kingdom. It's true. The kingdom is not here in its fullness. There is injustice and pain and suffering and oppression. Jesus did not bring the kingdom in its fullness. He sowed the seeds of the kingdom. Jesus is the sower king. This is the real secret, right? That, that it's not just that Jesus is the king, but, but that the king came and didn't do what everybody expected him to do. He came to sow the seed of the kingdom. And seeds take time to grow. Are you willing to accept the, the sower king, right? That Jesus didn't come to conquer with a sword, not yet. But he came to sow the seed of the kingdom. And what's more, this sower king did really the most unkingly thing thinkable. He went to the cross and died. I mean, what kind of a king is this? A king who teaches stories and then dies on a cross. But this is how he lays the foundation for the kingdom. His word in our hearts, his blood shed for our sin. That's how his kingdom can become a kingdom of mercy and Jesus came the first time as true, not, not to put everything white, right the way we think, because he didn't come to judge, but he came to bear judgment. If he had come to judge the first time, none of us would have withstood, right? 
None of us could have stood in the day of judgment. But Jesus came the first time not to judge. Jesus comes as the humble sower king who goes to the cross and bears sin so that we could be forgiven and find mercy. And then he calls us, he calls us, his people, to spread the seed of the news of this forgiveness far and wide. To be his fellow workers, his fellow laborers in the field. To sow the seed of the kingdom. To share the gospel. To speak about the renewal of all things to come. The hope that we have. To spread abroad the secret that Jesus has come to sow the seed of the coming renewal of all things. That he is the sower king. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, give us eyes to see you for who you are. Give us hearts to believe. Give us ears to hear your word, to receive it. We pray that you would plant it deep in our heart, that you would remove the stones, that you would remove the thorns, that you would break up the hard ground, that you would give us hearts that are tender and ready to receive your mercy. Do this by your spirit, we pray. We know that we cannot tend our own hearts. We need you to soften us. We pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen.